Happy holidays, friends! I hope everyone had a really fun and safe holiday. I know I did. So, uh, shortly after Christmas, I had the opportunity to visit Jason Chang. He's the founder of tiful.co.co, which is an online tea store uh, that just started, well, 10 days ago as I'm recording this, so... Hooray! <laughs> We get a great discussion uh, going on when I visited him. Uh, we drank so much tea that after the recording, I finally said, "No, no, I can't. I can't drink another sip. I had to. I had to finally turn tea down." And so I'm very excited uh, to share this episode with all of you. Uh, we have a little uh, bit of news before we uh, dive into that. Uh, I have several new episodes queued up with some great guests and topics. Uh, Behind-the-scenes work is being done to make sure we have a unique logo. And I'm looking to find the right music to buy the rights to. Sent a couple emails, some feelers out. Uh, we'll see which one we get. Uh, we also have our first review on, on the iTunes store. Thank you so much, friend. Uh, I'll go ahead and read it here since it's nice and short. Uh, uh, this user just wrote, This is a very enjoyable and intelligent podcast. Excellent work. Thanks again. Probably the most important news is that we are now on the Google Play Music Store. Uh, this was a request from a Reddit user on r slash uh, podcasts. So there are four ways to listen now. We have a direct RSS feed. Uh, we have an iTunes store page. We have a Google Play store page. And we have the browser player at the website, which now can be reached easily by just typing in hotleafjuice.org. And it'll, it'll redirect you to the Simplecast player page. I sprang for the .org because I wanted it to sound more authoritative, but really it was just on sale. Well, that about wraps us up for this uh, intro. You can find links to Jason and Tiefel.co in the show notes, uh, as well as a link to our new Google Play Store page. And if you uh, leave like the show, go ahead, leave us a review, and I'll give you a shout-out. And if you have questions, comments, or unlicensed music, <laughs> you can email me. Uh, that link is in the show notes, or there's actually a button on the website with a little mail on it. So, okay, here's the episode. Thanks, guys. Hey everybody, uh, this is Barry again. You were just hearing me talk in the intro, but I'm back with Jason here, here in the Jason's uh, headquarters, home, table, tea table, tea tasting center. Uh, hey Jason. Hey Barry, thank you for having me. All right, uh, I'm speaking with Jason Chang. Uh, Jason Chang is the uh, founder of Tiful, and I met Jason uh, in uh, a month ago, about almost a month ago. We're recording this at the end of December, just after Christmas. Uh, we are, I met him probably at December 2nd or 3rd, right? Yeah, LAT yeah. Festival. LAT Festival, and he had a great booth out there with lots of uh, tea from Taiwan. And uh, I make no secret that I really love uh, Taiwanese tea, and I was really happy to have uh, made a contact with him. So we're going to drink some tea today, and we're going to talk about his, uh, his, his company and his experience with tea and the tea he likes to drink. And so, Jason, what are we, what are we pouring right now? So first, we're going to start with our flagship, which is the High Mountain Black Tea. If you want to take a whiff of that, right, take yeah. a look at it yourself. Got a little bit of a uh, small plate for you to deserve. But mm. essentially, this tea was intended for High Mountain Oolong. So it's a mm. Qingxin cultivar. And what happened was is that our processors work directly with this farmer. And it's kind of a neat partnership. He used to be the uh, secretary of the Nanto Agricultural Bureau. Mm -hmm. And now he's retired. So he, he grows tea, tea trees on a plot of land, and he has a, not a, lo a lot of knowledge with processing as well. So he kind of gave our processors some ideas. They worked together, and he took these leaves, and they created a beautiful and wonderful tasting and smelling black tea out of it. <laughs> oh, wow. It really does smell kind of... Uh, I, I guess this is sort of the Western tasting vocabulary uh, in me, but chocolate, like just, just sweet sweet chocolate milk kind of mm -hmm. a kind of a flavor but i'm sure that it's going to if it's if it's a taiwanese black tea after a couple of brews it's going to get more dark chocolate it's going to get more strong is that what usually happens with this i found out it gets lighter as it goes on um but oh, you cool. do feel that that texture that that kind of thickness within the broth or within the tea soup mm -hmm. per se what did you say the cultivar was chin 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 mm -hmm. okay and so, normally that's a new long Normally, high mountain oolong. So if you look at the famous, I call it the big four. If you look at Ali San or Sanding Shi or mm -hmm. Li San or even Dai Yuling, which is 
the most, the more prized uh, and well-known high mountain oolongs in Taiwan, they all use the Qin Qin cultivar. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. So let's 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 brew it up. You're yeah. gonna put it in this let's lovely going Taiwan. Here. Yep, I'm I'm going old school today. Yeah. <laughs> and you're uh, looks like you're a uh, you're you're a you're a Chahai guy. Yep. So am I. I just I don't know. I just prefer it this way. It's how I learned it. So and I haven't I haven't encountered people who who have I guess unusually strong opinions about that and i'm like okay <laughs> i mean I, I i hear what you're saying there's there's so many methods to brew tea and and i like to learn different methods and and kind of explore the, the different avenues as well i mean sometimes if i go over to a friend's house usually within taiwan or here um mm-hmm. they would be gifted tea but they wouldn't have a tea set you know they drink espressos or coffee they have an espresso machine over a tea set which is cool so i'm just like hey you got a big bowl and a strainer that's all i need yeah yeah <laughs> i'm i'm sort of making myself try new ways of brewing i'm making myself try more um grandpa style mm-hmm. i have a really uh one of my, my essentially my favorite gaiwan broke about a year ago and the lid broke so the, the saucer in the cup is just fine mm-hmm. and i've kind of been sitting on it and i just bought another one which i also really like but it's much smaller and i've been using it to to drink kind of grandpa style teaching myself to do that mm-hmm. um it's, it's, I, it's harder than gong Cha, i i think Gongpu I think, is a little intuitive. Grandpa uh, style is just, I don't know, a little lazy, but also, like, l- l- you know, you can focus on another task. Of course. Here, let's try this in the first steep. All right. Hmm, thank you. Whoa, that's really, that smells really good. It's different when it's fresh, right? Because I know they didn't really have electrical out there, so mm-hmm. it was a little bit more lukewarm to cool. Couldn't really express the full flavors of this tea. Yeah. Mm. And this is this and this is the the black tea that's available on your website. Yes. And so you have a a, a pretty uh, a, a just Taiwan right now. So you just have a couple of teas. You just launched two weeks ago. What was your launch date again? Eighteenth. Two weeks ago. Yeah, we launched. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two weeks ago. <laughs> Is there a word for uh, a two a two week anniversary? Is there a, a Latin word for that? I don't, have a happy two week week. Yeah, I, I don't have a word for it. <laughs> Sorry, <Yeah>, tell me. <laughs> well, they have words like you know nanogenarian for like somebody who's been around for for ninety years, right? Nano is like nine, and genarian is old person. Or we can do we can just call it like a two week anniversary. A two week anniversary, right? We can use the we can use yeah. the words we have. So, um, you were when was the last time you were in Taiwan? Oh. Went back in August, late August, stayed there for about two, two and a half months, just kind of scouring the different regions and beating processors and farmers as well. And right now, this is the, um, the, the main black tea you have. How many black teas did you try before you decided this one, you think? Just, just guessing. You probably don't know exactly, maybe. Um, I, I lost count after a while, honestly, but I, I would say anywhere from three dozen or maybe even over 40. Wow. Yeah. Just black tea, right? Just, just black tea alone, yeah. Wow. And it's funny you mention that because it's, I try to explain this to most people, Taiwan is it's kind of going through this production phase where they like to experiment. Mm-hmm. So if, if you think about it in a wine perspective, you go to Europe and you have certain wines like Burgundy only grown in that region, you know, Champagne, mm-hmm. or if it's Champagne, it can only be grown from that region, otherwise it's sparkling wine. Right. And, but when you come here, you know, we, we kind of break that, that mold, that idea. So mm-hmm. when you go to a California winery, you're like, oh, you know, I want Riesling, I want this. They have the grapes. They can grow it, you know. Same mm-hmm. thing with tea from Taiwan. You go there, you you chop the farmers, you try their samples. You know, they kind of ask you what you're looking for throughout your sourcing trip or your journey. You're like, oh, I'm looking for, you know, you know, some green teas or maybe some uh, green green oolongs if you, if you can recommend someone. And they say, oh, we can make that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You were saying to me before a couple of minutes before we started recording that you you met a farmer who is uh, producing yencha, buyi rock tea. Buyi rock tea. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that that was a little little interesting, and we came across them kind of throughout the end of our trip. I haven't really gotten too much information from her, but essentially what I know is that it's produced somewhere in the Nanto region, and that kind of intrigues me because you think wuyi tea is is 
from that terroir, from that region within right. China, kind of like poor. You know, if someone says they grew poor out of the Yunnan area, you're like, uh, I don't know. You know, I don't trust that. Cool. Yeah, um, I, you know, you've been to Nanto. I have not uh, yet. Uh, have you been to Wei to compare the, the geography? I have not, actually. I've always wanted to go, so hopefully we'll incorporate that within our next trip. Mm-hmm. If not, the one after that, because we're thinking about expanding into Japan, Korea, and then China. Oh, within cool. Within the next three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so right now your website just has Taiwanese tea, and you are the Taiwan point man. Yes. Okay. Yes. And that's what you're, lo- you're, launch- you're launching with, uh, and you have... It sounds like you have somebody from I I believe I met your Japanese tea uh, partner partner yes mm-hmm. I forget his name right now but we spoke very briefly his name is also Jason is it we'll, we'll make it easier for you okay great cool <laughs> yeah but it's it's interesting you mentioned that because um I I grew up drinking tea I grew up drinking oolong tea with my my family and half my family is from the Nanta region you know they're farmers mm-hmm. so you grew up knowing a lot of tea farmers and processors and right. um the townies at least the older generation, they, they prize the high mountain oolong. So I grew up drinking high mountain oolong thinking that was the only tea besides maybe Japanese or Chinese green tea. Right. You know, just a little narrow-minded point of view. And once I went on this trip about six, eight years ago with my friend up this mountain, you know, my whole world changed. And I started to discover that there's more tea than, than high mountain oolong. You know, there's more mm-hmm. types of tea out there that's just intriguing. And it can taste... for. Uh, it falls under all these spectrums of taste and aromas as well. Yeah. So you, you have family from, from, from Taiwan, mm-hmm. and you grew up drinking the high mountain oolong tea. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's, I guess, did, was, did your, was your family's approach to drinking tea, um, you know, is, is, like, is gongfu cha brewing like intuitive to you, or is that something you figured out later? Um, that's something I kind of figured out later. Our family uses more of a um, clay pot, tea, uh, clay teapot style. So as you see, kind of to the side over there, that's what we mainly use. And um, most of the time, we mainly use a, like a Western teapot. Something, mm-hmm. of course, something white you would find at you know traditional yeah. Chinese restaurants as well. So, well, that's that's interesting. Uh, so, at what what point did you switch between somebody who drank tea, I guess? The, as, a, as something you do just in your kitchen to somebody who is enthusiastic about tea, right? What, mm-hmm. uh, what, what was there a, did you try a specific tea and have your mind blown? Is, that, is it an easy story or is it a gradual uh, uh, transformation for you? A pretty, pretty easy story. Um, what happened was my friend was studying abroad in Taiwan one summer that I happened to be vacationing there. And he was very enthusiastic about tea and he was telling me about all the different types of tea from Taiwan and the, and the different varieties and cultivars and whatnot. And I'm like, okay, cool, you know, thinking it's probably another high mountain oolong. So mm-hmm. we went to the um, the, the southern part of uh, Taipei County, which is where they had the, the mountains of Muzha. Mm-hmm. And he took me on this two, three kilometer hike up this mountain, you know, because he, he did it before. He, he met this vendor in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. and she made him tea Kung Fu style and it was very traditional. He was very impressed, but he also loved the quality of the tea that she brought to the table. So we went on this trip, hiked up the mountain. I kept asking him every 10 minutes, hey, are we there yet? But of course, finally got there and tried some of her teas. It was pretty standard in me. You know, we tried a variety of greens to oolongs, but at the end, she gave me a, a roasted oolong, which is the Muza Tieguanin, known in that area, and that just blew my mind. My, yeah. my entire world opened right there, and I was like, tea could taste like this too, you know, and, yeah. and that's where it started for me. It is really amazing. I mean, I, I know this is one of the most oft-repeated ways of waxing poetic about tea, but I, I think it's, it, it, it's, it is that way for a reason. Mm-hmm. And that is that you can get so much out of just one plant. Yes. It really all starts in the same place. And, and when you, you realize, and there's no way, there's no other way to really appreciate and be in awe of that than to actually be able to appreciate it. It is like, I think, being able to see the stars and, connect, and, and be able to then start to do the math and realize how far away they are. Mm-hmm. And you have to do both of those things, I think, for your brain to go, whoa. <laughs> this is quite amazing. There's there's some kind of chemistry and there's some kind of just 
you know, so people want to use spiritual language to describe it as well, and and I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't stop them. <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't blame them at all for wanting to reach into that that bag of vocabulary mm-hmm. uh, because it is magical. I don't know. We live in a world where I think that kind of the word magical has been completely destroyed. <laughs> Sadly, uh, but it, I, I think that 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 kind of hyperbole is is really is really appropriate. Yeah. So um, you were there earlier this year. And the last couple of times you've been there, you've been interacting with farmers mm-hmm. from a, a more professional perspective, right? Not so much just going on family trips or mm-hmm. personal trips. And you've been interacting with farmers. What, I guess, what's it, what, what, what's the tea farmer culture like in Taiwan? Like, are they far away from the town? Like, are they kind of isolated people who talk to each other? Is it their own kind of community? Or are they very well connected to everybody else? What, what, what's it like out there? I feel like it's a mixture of both. I mean, if, if you look at Taipei County and, and the tea regions around there, mm-hmm. they're they're more connected to to the cities and the towns, mm-hmm. you know, because it's such it's so close by. I mean, if if you live in Taipei, maybe it's like an hour drive, you know, mm-hmm. south, and you hit the mountains. You either wow. in Sunshine or you in Muza, and you could you know go directly to source. But there's also hidden little villages. I mean, you drive through the mountainsides, and you're in the middle of nowhere. All you see are farms or even just mountains and and streams Hmm. (laughs) and tea farming in taiwan is not structured like there's a big there's no lipton of taiwan right there's just lots of different smaller farms or or is there a larger bigger business presence in taiwan agriculture that is a good question barry there are larger entities along with smaller entities. I would say a good amount consists of smaller entities, mm-hmm. but there's also, you know, big corporate farms, I would like to call it. Not really corporate, but larger farms mm-hmm. yeah. that encompasses a wide area in which they would sell in huge bulks. So you have like Dashi Tea Farm, which is, or a Tea Factory, which has been there for ages. And then, you know, even the early establishments of Summon Lake, they've been there since the 20s as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now is uh, Sun Moon Lake? That's also that's in Nanto County. That's not in Taipei County. Yes, that's in Nanto County. Yeah, so it's an audio podcast. So I guess we're going to talk a little bit about the geography of Taiwan. Uh, I'll probably mm-hmm. upload maybe like a map or something. We live in a world where people can just Google Maps Taiwan, I suppose, and type in <laughs> Nanto County. But Nanto County is in the middle. Yes. Of an island that is the shape of like like an almond. Oh, I was thinking like a, a pea pod, but yeah, a pea pod, yeah, so one of those, one of those, one of those plants. Uh, and Taipei is up north. Taipei is up north. Taipei County is is the northernmost county. It's it's where the capital is located as mm-hmm. at as well. So if you mm-hmm. fly in, you're probably flying into Taipei. Most likely. international. Inter- most likely, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> That's so. Um, the uh, you, you did you did mention earlier that this black tea was. Uh, was researched by an agricultural institution, right? There was a, what's the agricultural institution that was making this happen that the guy came from? He came from the Nanto Agricultural Bureau. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a Republic of China government bureau, right? I would say so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And this isn't the only, this isn't the first time like I've, I've tried like a Taiwanese black tea that was different, right? Like you you seen before, there's a lot of experimentation. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, hybridization going on, right? Mm-hmm. There's the fam- there's the the really famous eighteen that I think is kind of hot on the on the on the market in the blogosphere right now yeah. with the the Burmese uh, uh, cultivar and the, the 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 I guess it's the the, the local Taiwanese the indigenous uh, the indigenous plant, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which do you know if that has been used much? Do you know if the indigenous Taiwanese plant was used much, or were they always using like sinensis transplants from China? No, oh, they. They've been kind of splicing everything together. That's where you get different cultivars. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the black tea, yeah, you see that more apparent within some of their, some of their splicing. I mean, everything now is being documented in in trays. You know, the Taiwanese Research mm-hmm. Center for Tea, and uh, it it kind of goes like this: to where you would make your tea, and then, of course, once it became more well known and more popular, then it's documented. But yeah, I, to answer your question, Barry, I would say a good amount is is now being experimented with those indigenous plants, and it's kind of cool because mm-hmm. to me they kind of resemble the the Kenyan tea plants yeah. with the, the purple tea that people have been mentioning about as well. Have uh, and have you just tried straight uh, 
indigenous Taiwanese tea? Actually, I have. Mm-hmm. I'm glad he asked that question. Um, towards the end of our trip, we went up to this farm where it was run by monks. Okay. And it's an all-organic farm. They've been in here for two decades, surprisingly. Mm. So they've been way ahead of their time. And visiting parts of their plot, there was sections where it was only purple tea. And it was neat because um, when you look at their processed teas, you know, they label it tea or something, but the purple teas, it would say grown from purple tea leaves. Yeah. So they can distinguish that. So I, I didn't really get a chance to try that. They mainly use that for their oolongs and their black teas. And that day I was uh, searching more for white or green teas. Yeah. I, 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 also, I, I have had the luck uh, of being able to try this just a straight... Uh a black tea processing of the indigenous Taiwanese leaves. I have a, uh, a, a contact a point of contact in Taiwan who was able to just, who was selling some. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at first I didn't quite get it. I was like, this is okay. But I think I was kind of so wowed by the, the 18. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, this is more hearty. And, and I think that there's a kind of person that will always like, would prefer that anyway. And mm-hmm. then I tried it again, probably six months later. And maybe it aged in the tea, in the, in the bag in my c- cupboard. Who knows? <laughs> or maybe it was just a different time, different setting. Same same water and same kettle, though. But I loved it. Uh, really, really got it and figured out, oh, this mm. is why this they would they would think to to splice this together and to, and to make use of this. Because this is actually a really good tea. And I would love to see more of that hit the western market, right? And not mm-hmm. just have it be a... An ingredient in the hybridization of, of future, I'm sure, also really great, also really great plants. Yeah, especially by itself. I mean, next time I go back, I'm definitely going to try some. And yeah. it's funny you mentioned that because for me, after testing uh, these past few years, I feel like sun teas are better when you leave it and let it sit for a bit. You know, you mm-hmm. open the bag, you kind of seal it best you can with one of these sealing clips or whatever you use. But some teas are, are just taste a little bit better. Maybe it opens mm-hmm. up a bit more. And I've gotten a lot of um, recommendations from processors, farmers, even vendors that have you know that I've met along the way, and they were like, "Yeah, like when you open up a vacuum seal bag, let it sit for a little bit, let it get air in it, you know, mm-hmm. and then try making the tea." So hey, have you noticed the opposite? I, I think I have, or maybe, or maybe I just remember it wrong. But I feel like some of my high mount oolongs, even two weeks later. Mm-hmm. Are not, they don't. Like, I can tell because when I open the bag, they don't smell the same mm-hmm. as when I when I got the day on it. And that's why I try to not buy. I I will like never buy more than hundred grams of a tea ever, unless I'm giving it to somebody. Like I'll just never do it again mm-hmm. because, because I just can't. I don't drink that much that fast. I, so that do you find that happens to you, or, or oh, am yeah. I doing something totally wrong? No, that's that's a normal observation. So when you harvest the tea and when you process it especially in the case of high mountain oolong mm-hmm. when you open up a bag that's a week to a month or maybe even two months after it's been processed you're going to get a huge hit of that aroma mm-hmm. the florals right but as you let it sit within that container or vessel for a while then the opposite happens you don't get that aroma but when you brew the tea you get a stronger taste mm-hmm. whereas in the beginning you get a stronger aroma but when you brew the tea it's a lighter taste are you considering? Um, I guess you're. I guess you just need to find the right tea for the right taste at the right price. But like, are you considering um, adding to your Taiwanese future Taiwanese uh, tea selection uh, any aged tea? Any like really like aged oolong? Um, mm-hmm. Anything like that, or is or is that hard to get hold of? Because I know that exists, but I've only seen it in very small quantities. Yes, it definitely exists. Um, unfortunately, the farmers don't age their tea as much. It mm-hmm. used to kind of be a a thing they do just so that they can get other forms of revenue but you know after the development of certain cultivars and you know better farming also processing methods they realize that in a short amount of time if they follow a certain criteria they could make the same amount of money as if they were to age part of their batches and put that on reserve for years and years mm-hmm. but to answer your question yes i'm considering it definitely more rare like you said, I probably have to um, get to know some of our farmers a little bit more and, and earn their trust because most of yeah. it they, they save for their private collection. Right. Yeah. And and they kind of taste that generations down the line just getting, oh, you know, your grandfather made this and this is what it tastes like as it ages, you know. So it, it's great that you mentioned the relationship um, between sort of farmers and buyers. Uh, and you said you've known some tea farmers 
basically your whole life or for many, many years, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, would that, I guess, was that your initial point of entry, right, into, into that into that world for you? Yes, I I would say so. I mean, I met them through my father and my family, and you know, for New Year's, whenever we go back, we we talk, we visit them, we see them, you know, at, at our dinner table, and we exchange gifts and, and update each other. They're kind of like good family friends. Oh, great! Oh, that's I, I I am wonder I'm wondering how 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 different the experience would be is if you were completely no contact. You know, you're just sort of no contact in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Um, how different it would be, right? To try to forge relationships with people you see once a year, twice a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it sounds like you were able to, you have, you, you were able to capitalize just on, on such a history, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, there's connections after connection, but also we've encountered uh, instances where we would just meet farmers or processors for the first time. And mm-hmm. to me, it's, it's not that different. Maybe it's because I could speak the language, you know, um, mm-hmm. the dialect Taiwanese and then uh, Chinese Mandarin, but they could probably tell from my accent that I'm, Definitely not from the area, <laughs> but it, it, it's it's very nice because I, I feel like the people there are very warming, they're very welcoming. Especially if if you're interested in in their their lifestyle and and what they do on a daily basis, you know they they create teas, they harvest teas, and you show a a very honest interest in, in what they do. They're they're more than happy to share that with you. Right. you know, they'll take you on tours of their farms when they have the time. They'll show you what it's like to process these. Sometimes they'll be like, hey, you know, when we're processing during a certain season, feel free to come by. You know, you can see how it goes. You can even process a batch for yourself to see what it's like to actually go through that. And when does processing season, I guess, start? Because you pick and process, you should should on the same day. Mm -hmm. Uh, And usually we get our new tea shipments in the West as an end user, consumer for me, like late May, right? Uh Early June. Like that's the earliest I can get my stuff unless Mm -hmm. I really pull some some (laughs) strings with people I know. But is it the, is it true that the higher mountain teas are picked earlier, or is it the other way around? It just depends on the farmer. Okay. I, I wouldn't say the higher mountain teas are picked earlier. I would say the higher mountain teas are not picked as often. Mm-hmm. So, for example, in in Taiwan, they they have three categories of of teas based off elevation. They have the low elevation tea, mm-hmm. which they they consider anything up to I think eight hundred meters, okay. and they have the mid tier, which is eight hundred to. 1400 1450 meters and anything about 1500 meters the locals consider high elevation tea so to answer your question the high elevation teas are mainly picked two three at most four times a year you have the main seasons which are spring and then summer fall winter most high elevation farmers they only pick during the spring and the winter batches mm-hmm. that way the tea has time to develop its flavors you know going from hot to cold and cold to cold to hot and slowly absorbing all of that. So is this a spring or, a, or an autumn? This or is actually a summer. summer. It's summer a summer. Tea. Okay, okay. So uh, in Taiwan, at least, it's, when you're drinking a black tea or a fully oxidized tea, the, the seasons to buy it at are summer and fall. Okay. And then it's the opposite for oolongs or green tea. You want it during the spring and winter seasons. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know that, at least in my experience, the way that that aspect of tea appreciation has been communicated has been very heavily sort of spring focused you want the term first flush is all over marketing for mm. tea um along with like preaching ming right if, if you're getting tea uh specifically from china but i i occasionally then do see oh this is an autumn picked or this is a winter picked and as a consumer i'm kind of like is this a wink like hey this is like a secret nobody knows about or is this admitting like well you know this is when this is from and if you like it you like it uh, I, I wonder how much hype spring has do you think that that's true or it sounds like you did kind of answer this question a little bit with the different aspects the different types of tea being good at different time, times of the year mm-hmm. yeah. um there there is a certain difference i mean if if you were to go to a farmer like what we did was and they would sit us down they would show us typically their spring collection, their fall mm-hmm. collection, their winter collection. You could, uh, of the same type of tea and the same mm-hmm. type of land, same processing, you could taste the differences. Um, definitely what I've noticed is that the spring harvests, they have definitely more flavor. Um, something that I enjoyed more within teas. Uh, same thing in the winter, and it, it goes from, it, it ties into that gradual climate change. You know, if you're going mm-hmm. from one extreme to the other, you know, the teas are able to slowly develop those flavors a bit more. And... It's funny because I remember the first farm we visited, 
um, we were given, we were trying out Balto. Mm-hmm. And he gave us the spring, fall, and winter. And the spring stuck out to me so much that I'm just like, okay, what did you guys do with this? Because this is on a whole nother level. And I realized that the, the winter before that, it snowed in Taiwan mm-hmm. for the first time in like decades. So it, the, the teas had even more time to develop as it was more dormant and it was growing slower from that cold environment. Hmm. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting you brought up climate change and I, that's like another kind of pet interest of mine that is tangentially related, mm-hmm. related to tea is, is being, is climatology and being in sort of climate change, uh, science and, and, and the political aspect of it as well. But, uh, and maybe, maybe, you know, if maybe a listener can email and, and might know more about this than, than either of us, but I wonder if, because Taiwan is an island, mm-hmm. right, and it's generally going to have more moderated at least coastal temperatures if because it's a smaller island it's going to be i guess the canary in the coal mine for tea being affected by climate change and what we're going to see and it will then go on to china and japan and india and africa and elsewhere Mm -hmm. like i think also sri lanka would be another good good point of comparison too right small island if we can see climate change related changes to what teas and how it tastes and what you can grow and if there's any whether how that's going to affect the winters in these places it would be interesting if somebody is or will would do an interesting i guess some research on that I don't, do you have any thoughts about that yeah I, I think it's definitely an interesting concept except especially with you know the global warming i don't know if you believe in that or not but mm-hmm. I, I feel like climate change definitely um is is, is a part of that whole concept of, of tea production and it affects the flavor and the aromas dramatically mm-hmm. like this year when we went in at in the late summer to to early fall i i feel that maybe the winter batches from taiwan will be not as significant as mm-hmm. last year's and that's that's just my guess because yeah. it rained a lot there it was consistent the weather and it was warmer than usual so I have I have yet to try the winter batch, but I'm excited to see and compare. And I wonder if you know you and I are late twenty somethings. I'm twenty eight. Mm. You're something. Twenty seven. <laughs> twenty seven. Yeah. 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 Right I just kind of like, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if in in forty fifty years, you know, when when we're the old guard mm-hmm. in the world of tea, uh, and obviously it's gonna be so different, right? Like who, who knows? Yeah. But I wonder if people in our age bracket, when we're the old guard, are gonna be like. I remember when high mountain long tea tasted like this. I remember when you could grow baojong in this place. Like, mm-hmm. I, I wonder what the what what the landscape is going to be like, and if as people who are sort of born when we were born, we if we're going to see like a dramatic change or a subtle change. If it's a dramatic change, like people with our perspective will be able to notice it, and mm-hmm. like our children or grandchildren, that whatever the new normal will be, will just be normal mm-hmm. to them instead of just being the new normal. So. Precisely, precisely. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll hope and see. Hopefully, it doesn't affect the the high mountain stuff too much. Um, it could be good for yeah. all I know. Like for all I know about, <laughs> which is very, which is basically the extent to which I've told you in this conversation, it could have a great effect, right? Like I have no idea. Drought could be really good, or I don't know. Uh, I'm always interested in learning, though. So, do you want to brew the uh, the Oriental Beauty now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's brew that. So we're going to start out with the Oriental okay. Beauty, and I kind of put two out just to show you a comparison. Okay, yeah. And I, as you see with the the bottom one for you, it's mm-hmm. it's kind of like a lower grade t- uh, Oriental Beauty, whereas the top one you see, it's a higher grade. You can definitely tell with the whites at the ends of the leaves yeah. from the leaf hoppers. So it's very, yeah, so the one, um, can I get the picture you took of this? Yeah, of course. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the higher grade one that you're showing me is, uh, it has that, that furriness that you get out of like white tea. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one looks more like what I'm used to seeing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's um, that's kind of what I was saying to you earlier about the different grades. Um, with Oriental Beauty, it's it's a hit or miss. You know, some seasons they'll harvest, some years they'll just skip because there's not enough leaf ho- leaf hoppers, excuse me, that come to nibble on those those tiny leaves uh, for to create Oriental Beauty. But with this, it's neat because um, they have. A tree that's basically organic it's not certified or anything but they've mm. kind of left it alone for three to four decades and just let it grow into this huge massive tree and they pick from it and the leaf hoppers seem like this one because obviously number one there's really no pesticides on there and number two it's it's probably got that deeper 
kind of rich flavor or nutrients from the leaves as those roots sink into you know lower elevations of the earth to grab those minerals as well hmm so um for the listener just so we know we're this is oriental beauty oriental beauty is an oolong tea mm-hmm. that is bitten by bugs do you know the, what the name of the insect is i forgot like, the the traditional name i just call them leaf hoppers leaf hoppers okay. leaf hoppers some kind of leaf hopping little bug they they chew on the leaves mm-hmm. and uh that do you know what that's what the chemistry of that is? What the, what's the agroscience behind why that is important? I, I believe what happens is that it's it's a mixture of that saliva, but also the leaf will also release some sort of oil as a defensive mechanism, mm-hmm. and from those two, I, I guess catalysts, you can create this unique flavor that's known to the world as Oriental Beauty. Cool. And do you know if this has, I just occurred to me, do you know if this is, this is a higher caffeine content than other teas? I'm thinking because caffeine mm-hmm. is usually a defense mechanism for mm-hmm. plants. So I wonder if that's coming to the surface more. Um, do you know if that's the case? Possibly. Um, you would definitely have to measure. I mean, did you ever read that article from Tea Guardian about caffeine levels? Tea Guardian? No, no. Okay. okay. But um, it's interesting because they took... Uh, a survey, just a, a small sampling of different teas from um, the Asian circle, meaning mm-hmm. China, Japan, Taiwan, a little bit from Vietnam, just to test different caffeine levels, you know, and it's all sorts of teas from green to oolong to black. And what they found out is it just varies. It varies right. for country, for elevation, for soil. But what they found out is that green tea from China overall has more caffeine compared to anything else they've tested within that, okay. you know, survey. Yeah, I, I think I didn't read this specific article, but I think I have read other research about this posted elsewhere. Where the, my main takeaway was this: the only thing that was noticeable was the ceiling of of caffeine for mm. different different processing types, and the the more interesting factors instead of processing were stuff like uh, uh, cultivar and leaf size. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. So the answer is, who knows how much caffeine is in your tea, which is uh, unfortunate. And I think one of the reasons probably why it's still very, very, very common to have, oh, black tea has more caffeine than green tea. Mm-hmm. White tea has less caffeine than, than green tea kind of uh, uh, information out there, even from otherwise reputable vendors, right? Uh, possibly because who wants to tell their customers? Who knows, right? Like... You, if the answer, if the truth is, nobody can really tell unless you have a lab equipment for every for every little possible uh, variety of tea you get for every harvest. Basically. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's a complicated answer, and people definitely don't like complicated answers, especially because they'll just stop listening to you at some point. And and they, especially the answer is who knows, and people don't want to not be in control of that. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if that's why that persists or maybe they just don't know i don't i'm not quite sure how the origin of black tea has more than green tea comes from not too sure maybe because people think it's more oxidized or looks darker from your parents you know you just kind of get that general assumption but like you said i mean there's there's really no definite answer and it's really hard to tell the customer but the general rule of thumb is i just tell them well it has less than coffee that's for sure yeah (laughs) be be prepared to be wired if you're going to drink a lot of tea yeah um and everyone's body reacts to caffeine differently, too. Um, I know that I'm pretty not caffeine sensitive, but on a long enough timeline of drinking tea, I'll get too drunk just as much as anybody else does. Yep. What do you think of that term, by the way? Tea drunk? Tea drunk, yeah. Do you, do you like that? or, or I, I, almost, I almost don't want to say tea drunk like around my mother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm tea drunk. She's like, <laughs> you're what? Nah, she wouldn't act like that. She'd laugh, but... I, I think it's it's a pretty neat term. I mean, I didn't really believe it, especially when I traveled around Taiwan. I Honestly, I didn't really get tea drunk. I mean, I mm-hmm. tried a lot of samples, but I don't think I sat there for hours drinking tea. Right. That's probably it. But when I came back, I started drinking with some friends, some enthusiasts, even some local vendors around the area. And I started to see the light. I'm like, oh, but it's possible to get tea drunk. It is neat because you don't get the side effects the next morning. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I asked one of my good friends, you know, what do you think um, encourages someone to get tea drunk or, or what are the factors that, you know, make up that? And, you know, she kind of gave me an answer that, that kind of made sense. She's, you know, first of all, she said, well, you know, you're constantly smelling the tea 
all day long, so you kind of get a little high off of that. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you're drinking nothing but tea if you don't have any snacks to pair with it. And, you know, technically, if you drink nothing but water, for example, you could die. <laughs> right, yes. Yeah, so that, that affects it as well, the tea drunkenness. Um, she also says it's... Mm. She believes it's also from good quality tea. You know, you, you have mm-hmm. the older trees, especially the ones in China, you know, that are, you know, anywhere from 50 to over 100 years old. And yeah. it's it's the same thing as when I said about the roots. You know, they have larger roots that could reach to different levels of the earth where other trees can't. And, you know, soaking up all those sediments and those minerals, I mean, that, that has an effect as well. And then, of course, there's the idea of um, tea chi or... I'm trying yeah, to think. yeah, the, yeah. the chi... Can I do not have a? I, I every time I think I understand what people mean when they say chachi or tichi, mm-hmm. I am wrong. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I try to stay away from that. I, I need to be more familiar with it before I dive into that category yeah. as well. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned that you started to f- notice it more when you were with other tea enthusiasts and drinking tea with people because I find it is. I wonder if, and this is just total extemporaneous. Um, uh, not understanding of what this really is, but I am thinking on my feet here. I wonder if a important attribute of tea drunk is people's feeling of euphoria from socializing with with your friends. It could be that. I too. think that I wonder if you you could try to control for that, right? If you just if people will register as tea drunk with the same quantity of tea if they're drinking in the solitary way, I suspect that it is a social thing. Yeah. And it is in part the whole experience. I, I definitely. I, I don't know. That's totally a hypothesis. Well, it, it goes to the basic concept of you know, as as you get older. I remember my grandfather before he passed away. He he told me one thing. He says, "Make sure you never eat alone." Hmm. You know, and I never understood that until I grew up. And you know, it's it's fun to do things by yourself. Go watch a movie. Go go for a stroll or jog. But when you're in the company of friends or loved ones, you tend to enjoy it more, especially hmm. with food, for example. Right. You know. Meal a meal typically at least for me tastes better with company as opposed to me eating by myself. Would yeah. you agree with that? That's definitely tr- that is definitely true. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, this is really, um, really, really more mild than I thought it was going to be. Actually, it's really tasty. It's very smooth though. It's like it's kind of white tea, mm-hmm. like like in its uh, in its like character in its sort of intensity mm-hmm. right but it's it's definitely not it's like something not white tea you kind of get that like butteriness or velvetness about it that's why i picked up a little mm. bit now buttery i bet you that's not a word that's in the taiwanese vocabulary for describing nope no nope. do you know what you know so you you and so your 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 taiwanese chinese is pretty good mm-hmm. to to great I, I what would you that... say i mean would you would you <laughs> say butter the word for butter to describe uh, like a high mountain long if if I'm talking with the farmers or processors there, no, I, I would not. Um, they they go for a more simpler grading scale, which is just aroma, uh, the color, the leaves, per se, and then how it reacts in your palate. Yeah, please go ahead. How it reacts in your palate. Um, if if it kind of sticks to the top of your mouth, or you know, if you feel that like scratchiness at the end, like they all they take a look at that. But they, when I talk, I'm like, hey, this kind of tastes like you know, grapefruit, you get that? And they look at me like I'm crazy, like, why are you grading it like that? <laughs> yeah. At least the traditionalists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder if there's a certain amount of um, crossover, I think, from the way people talk about wine and beer. Mm-hmm. The, the vocabulary, so the way in which, the, the, I think the, un, the unspoken or unarticulated cultural expectations for food grading, or f- specifically food critique, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is to compare it to two other foods, and that's kind of it, it. I mean, you could parody it very easily, right? You have that. There's a hilarious episode of. Um, do you watch Bob's Burgers? Once in a while, yeah. Once in a while. <laughs> there are the the short 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 story of the of uh, really quickly is that they're doing the wine tasting, and there's a wine guy who's like being a jerk, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Oh, I don't like this. This is from New Zealand. Only France makes you know whatever," and. He goes like a wine tasting off. He has a wine off with Bob. And <laughs> Linda essentially stacks the deck so Bob will beat him. Like Bob's like, I will, I will be better at this than you. You're just making things up. Mm-hmm. And he ends up winning because uh, the whole time the guy's spitting in a bucket. And she, uh, with her 
with the guys blindfolded, she pours the spit bucket, the spit wine bucket in oh. the glasses and Bob can I and the guy's like, Oh, I think it might be this, ooh, a little bit of that and like Bob's like, I know what it is. <laughs> yeah, a little gross, a little maybe a little too gross for the podcast. I don't know. <laughs> have to cut that means only spit. Yeah, we I've I've talked about grosser pretty, things, but let's, gross. let's table that for now as well. <laughs> the 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 reason I bring that up is that I wonder if not to make fun of that too much because I think there's there's some legitimacy to it. Um, that's just the the way in which we think about critiquing food, and that that's not something that isn't that's, that's intuitive to drinking food. That's a culturally constructed way of thinking about it. That is just not that you would not realize is 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 an unassumed cultural construct until you go somewhere else Mm -hmm. and you talk to somebody with an entirely different historical and cultural background Mm -hmm. and it's funny you mentioned that too it's it's kind of like the idea of um critiquing between if a tea should be labeled as a cultivar Mm -hmm. or if by the international standards you know if it's by the way it's processed have you heard mm. about that? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, I, I have a little bit. It's, it it's confusing mm-hmm. a little bit because sometimes it's Tiguanian, but I have to think, is it cultivar Tiguanian? Or is it Tiguanian, like, is it like a baked, right? Is that what you're talking about? Um, no, more along the lines of the international tea community where uh, just to basically categorize teas, whether if it's green, white, yellow, uh-huh. oolong, black, fermented, they, they have a sort of thing to categorize it, you know, mm-hmm. based off of processing methods. You know, if you do this within processing, it falls within oolong or black. Right. Right? Whereas if you look at China, you know, they, they base everything off of cultivars. Oh, okay. You see what I, mean? I see what you mean. Right. And, and, and there's that kind of conflict to where, you know, one wants to unify it and one's like, no, we've done this way for a while and, and this is what we've always stuck with. This is what, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just saying it's interesting, like, just seeing different perspectives, like you Well, said. Darjeeling ends up being an oolong, if you're really strict, mm-hmm. I think, about about what you, what you, what you call it, what qualifies as an oolong tea, because it's not quite, but it's marketed as black tea, and it's made by uh, black tea growers, right? Mm-hmm. Huh, that's interesting. And that's, unfortunately for me, like, kind of, just a language barrier stuff, like, I don't, my window into, my window into, and I think this is true of a lot of, you know, and, and Western tea consumers... The window with which we have into uh, Eastern tea culture and the tea industry and tea farming is through English language mm-hmm. sources. Uh, not a lot of direct translations. Other people are talking about it who have that information and pass it on. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do see through this specific window. Uh, as, I guess as somebody who can speak both languages, do you, do you see that tea is like a wider... Um, world for you do you are you able to especially online mm-hmm. uh, how, i guess how's your how's your how's your reading i guess how's, how's your chinese reading is it probably not as good as you're speaking right it helps a little bit it definitely helps a little bit mm-hmm. um but it, it it's also confusing because it's it's kind of like naming a tea you know when you name a tea it's it's based off of where it's from or you know maybe even a certain processing method or even as this oriental beauty you know is named mm-hmm. queen of england so to the west is known as oriental beauty whereas to the east they call it bai hao, bai for hao. example right and it's it's the same thing when um, having knowledge on both sides is when I go online and I check out other vendors or, you know, other people talking about tea. And, for example, um, when they say, for example, like jade oolong, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, what do you mean by, do you mean like the cultivar or do you mean like, do you just yeah. call it jade oolong? Yeah. yeah. So it kind of confuses me a little bit sometimes. You know what I think, and maybe this is out there. Maybe this is out there, and I haven't read it. And if a listener knows more about this, please email me. I would love to know. I think that there's a lot of great, I mean, really great introductory to from to tea literature mm-hmm. out there. Like, really, I have multiple books that are kind of coffee table books that have tea in Kenya, tea in Taiwan, tea in China, and sometimes it can be really detailed too. And I really like these books, mm-hmm. but they don't get into like what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Where you cultivars are very, or you're lucky if they're mentioned at all. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's jade oolong is always known as tui, you know. Mm-hmm. But some people have like high mountain jade oolong or like high mountain jin shen jin shuan, and I'm just like, wait, mm-hmm. to me that that's you know number. I, I think it's like the milk oolong, which is like number twelve registered yeah. trays. I'm like, wait, so what do you mean by this? <laughs> Can yeah. you give me more detail? I'm a little confused. But you know, I've I've been around that more to where I asked that question, whereas other people, you know, they may not care yeah mm-hmm. 
yeah, I do really wish there was, and maybe there should be, maybe there is, a book that is, I feel like a lot of the books, a lot of the literature on the websites, well, not so much websites, there's really detailed websites, but for, just for books. It's a lot of college 100 level. Mm-hmm. Good survey of tea. Mm-hmm. There's no 200. There's no T. There's no T201 mm-hmm. that I think fills that niche quite, you know, no follow-up books. But I can, if a listener knows, please let me know. I, I think, I haven't read... Have you read Tea Journey magazine yet? I have not. I haven't either. But people I know have. And I did get a free, like, first issue or... Uh, yeah, free first issue. And I flipped through it digitally. I, I, I swiped through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was interesting. It was good. It was it was what you'd expect out of a tea magazine. Um, and maybe in the in future episodes, we'll, I can reach out to them and we can see what uh, what they're willing... If there are any of their... Where their writers are coming from and what they what they have to bring uh to the tea education uh and the, and speaking of i guess like tea education you, you have a, a blog post mm-hmm. that you wrote on your website for tfol yep about brewing tea uh and i really liked it in part just because it was really short uh and you were able to break it down you only talked about the tea you sell so it was just like green tea <laughs> and black tea yes uh and what do you, th- I guess, what do you think is the best way to approach teaching people who are new to tea how to brew tea? Because I can speak from my personal experience as somebody who learned tea culture, I get later in life. I mean, not as a child, as an adult, as a college student. I wanted to follow the rules. I wanted to know the rules. I wanted the rules to be made very clear to me. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to do them exactly and get the same result every time. Mm-hmm. And that went on for far too long <laughs> as a tea enthusiast that I sh- that I I should be willing to admit because I clung to gotta be four 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 grams every time mm-hmm. you know regardless of the guy one like just a strict adherence to the clarity of the rules and I think a lot of people want clear directions on the other hand the truth is very weird so when you when you sat down to write that article I guess what what was your thinking about who you were writing for and what you wanted to say. Well, I, I mainly thought about my friends, you know, that I've encountered mm-hmm. that got into tea and they were asking me the same questions. And my whole idea behind it was just to simplify it for them as much as possible. Mm-hmm. But I always tell them, I always tell them, this is just a basic guideline. From there, you discover your preference right. using what tools, what temperatures, water, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And that's why in the blog post, I incorporated the notion of water temperature, right. different types of water, along with different tools, because everything you know, gives it a different spin, different taste. You can get the primary characteristics, but you may not unlock some secondary characteristics as if you were to brew it with another tool. Yeah. Speaking of water, what's the water source we're using now? Uh, what, what, where did you get that water? Is it distilled water? Is it, is it spring water? Costco. It's Arrowhead. Costco? Is yeah. it Arrowhead? Okay. He's using Arrowhead. Arrowhead, all right. I'm a crystal geyser. Uh, okay. Crystal geyser guy, because I can get it really, I can get it for 89 cents. Nice. A gallon. Uh, yeah, I, I wish... I wish I could live. I could be. I could live in a world where I have tap water that I can make for tea, but I can't justify buying nice tea and then not liking it. I I even tried to uh, get like I tried to, like, a nice like Brita like filter mm-hmm. when I first moved into my new apartment because I I'm, I'm up high now and I don't want to be dragging up a ton of gallons of tea, but I of water, but I I will and am mm-hmm. because I, I just said this isn't right. I can't just uh, this isn't right to me and I know there's I do know personally some people who will always brew with distilled water and I'm like okay <laughs> I mean hey everyone's got a preference and it's, it's if you kinda, want to that's fine <laughs> yeah it's it's funny you mentioned that because I, you'll definitely love you know taking a trip to Taiwan China or, or anywhere because when I was there and I was going through the high elevation farms everything tasted amazing you know and, and I saw them I saw them get the water from from their kettle I mean the kettle was has been used for a while, so maybe, you know, that that's, mm-hmm. it's been seasoned more to produce better flavors. I don't know. But I, I just see them pull the water out of the tap, and I realize their source is, is from, like, a natural spring within the mm-hmm. mountain or somewhere there. It's like yeah. mountain water. So when I, when I take samples back, I'm like, how come this tastes completely different? I mean, it, it does make a difference. It does definitely make a difference. Yeah, like, and water is, is so... It's one of the oldest things to, I think, talk about. I, pre, I mean... Discussing water and tea is older than discussing processing in tea, right? Uh-huh. Like they were in the Tang Dynasty, like the first really good book about tea, 
as a whole section, I think the most valuable and still, I think, quoted today, even though I don't think people realize they're quoting it, <laughs> uh, is the section from the Classic of Tea, Lou Yu's Classic of Tea about water, where he talks about the different... This is where the uh, fish eye, crab eye, have you heard that? Nope. You have? Okay. I ran into it a couple of times, uh, where the way to figure out whether, you're, whether you have the right temperature of water and you don't have a thermometer is to look at the bubbles that are made. Mm. by the kettle by mm -hmm. the water in the kettle and crab if you think about how big a crab's eye is that's like good for green tea i don't know it exactly and then oh. fish eye and the rolling boil is too much the bubbles have surface or but the, the bubbles are still bubbling from the pot you mean like the bubbles that are coming up like whether okay. they're big or small and like in the in in the seventh in the seventh century china they like said like oh fish eye crab eye oh, shrimp eye uh and that i've seen that Quoted around, and that's that. That source is, from what I can tell, is is from is from a Tong era source, and that's back when tea wasn't even loose. They basically only had a kind of green tea that's not really green tea as we recognize it now, and it was all in bricks. But even then, the big issue was what kind of water are you using? <laughs> mm -hmm. That's true. Have you ever tried charcoal water? Just out of curiosity, or heard of charcoal water? You mean like charcoal filtered water? Yes. Isn't that what Brita filters are supposed to be? The concept, yes. Concept, yes. Pro probably not from a high quality source. No. Uh, mm -hmm. Did you have you tried it? I I've tried it once. It was recommended to me by a good friend as well, and it's interesting. It it really does make the water, at least the tea, taste more energetic. If I could put okay. it anything, and I, I was trying to figure out why because if I I was also reading an article because. It focuses on testing it, uh, and, and it focuses on um, total dissolved solids. So they tried mm -hmm. using regular water, measured that, and they tried using charcoal uh, filtered water and measured that. It was the same amount. So their conclusion was maybe it just filters out all the bad elements as well. Hmm. That's really interesting. I would love to find out more about that or how to get a hold of that mm -hmm. i wonder if you can if you could do that at home that would be really cool yeah uh, i mean that... just get a kettle i mean what they did and what i did was just put the charcoal in and boil it let it sit for a little bit and i took the charcoal out and i just so you had a pot of water and you bought charcoal dust uh bamboo charcoal? charcoal like like a like a piece of it okay mm -hmm. bamboo charcoal not Brick, you know, lighter fluid covered no, 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 no. briquettes. Use bamboo charcoal, please. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. That's pretty important. Yeah. Bamboo charcoal, and you just put it at the bottom of your pot, and mm -hmm. you... Set it to a boil. Set it to a boil. And then just leave that in there for a few minutes, took it out, and mm -hmm. then use that water to there make you tea. Go. Hmm. Wow. I'm going to do that. That's Try a it. thing. Thanks, Jason. That is a thing I am going to do. That will happen, and I will let the uh, let, you, let you and the listeners know how that... Mm -hmm how that works. Um, so, you know, when we were emailing earlier, uh, like two weeks ago or whatever, we were talking about this, uh, you know, you mentioned that you wanted to, your plan is to source from lots of different countries and to have kind of a, in my mind, it's like an octopus, right? Like, I mean, that's kind of a weird, uh, I, different, I can picture that. Like, can not picture in a that. bad way, not in when like it the tentacles in all directions. Yeah, not the propaganda poster where it's like the Soviet <laughs> Union and they're like all over Eastern Europe. The one I'm thinking of, but like uh -huh. in a good way, in, yeah. a, in a in a in a in a oh, here's this octopus. Let's make some takoyaki with it. All right, mm -hmm. uh, the way you're going to spread your network, uh, you wanted to spread to tea growing places that people don't think of normally. You mentioned like Hawaii and Australia. Yeah, yeah. I mean, our, our focus is right now on single origin teas. Mm -hmm. um, I'm always curious in blends, um, flavors, but also even tea within mixes, like in food or cocktail. But right now, we want to show people um, single origin teas from different parts of the world and how different and diverse it can be. But also from from not as regions that are not as well known. You know, it's mm -hmm. kind of like uh, if you were told someone, "Hey, did you know that?" Israel makes wine, they'd be like, huh? You know, mm -hmm. kind of the same thing. Like, yeah. did you know that Australia makes wine? Like, wait, people from down under can make or can make tea? Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's something unique, especially with the, the terroir there, the climate. It, it produces a, a whole new... I haven't had it yet, but I've read a lot about it. It produces mm -hmm. a, a whole new sense of, of flavor and, and aromas as well. So, I mean, tea is it's endless, you know, especially within... Even older producing regions like Taiwan, you know, right. I mean, you could do that for ages. I mean, right now they're on a black tea revolution. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just have, you know, we're winding down here. I have one thing I always like to make sure I discuss with, with, with guests is 
what's like your tea community like, especially now? Mm-hmm. You the way you reach out with people, like, I guess how who do you meet with your friends a lot? Do you have a lot of tea friends in person in LA, or do you have a wider global network now? I guess what's what's like, what's your tea community like? Mm-hmm. You know, how would you characterize it? It's very local. It, it started with friends, and then. I've met enthusiasts along the way and, and even people getting into tea. You know, I'm starting to do more demonstrations mm-hmm. at uh, local boutique cafes that are interested you know, right. in loose leaves and gorgeous teas. And it's it just expands from, for us, at least from a local perspective. You know, mm-hmm. you, you show people what tea can, can be like from another perspective because most people have a perspective, oh, tea bag, hot water, right. you know, but... Do, doing the show is, is great, and but I, I don't want to intimidate them. You know, usually I bring simpler tools and show them, hey, try this tea. And they're like, wait, this is tea? And, and it could exude all these different flavors and aromas. So mm-hmm. we're starting at, at a local base, and we're meeting a lot of good friends that we make along the way that we bring in. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, Jason, uh, is there any... So you, you're Jason Chang of uh, tfull.co. Tfull.co. Remember that, tfull.co. <laughs> Uh, and uh, I will put any information, uh, how to contact you, and social media stuff on the show notes. Uh, is there anything you want to, I guess at the end, just to give you the floor? Uh, anything you want to plug? Anything you want to mention uh, before we go? I would say to everyone listening, get creative with your teas. Yeah. It's, it's endless. Try new things out if you can. Awesome. Great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason, thank you so much for hosting me and for taking time out of your afternoon. I know you're very, very busy with running a new company. Uh, so thanks so much for that. Uh, all right. Have a good night.